Welcome to Real Life Church, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, it's great to have you with you, with us, sorry. If you're new here, my name is Stuart, I'm the leader of the church, a very warm welcome to you. If um, we're doing the Freedom in Christ course, and we're on, I think, week session three today, if you've been amongst us and missed some of the talks, or you've arrived now and think I need to catch up, all the talks are available on our website, you can go and have a little listen, they're not long, you can just catch up with what God's been saying to us. If you want a participant's guide, because you haven't taken one, you haven't got one, I've got a couple of spare ones on my chair, please grab one of those um, before you go. Do you want some? Give you a couple. Hello. Follow along. With us on session three today, choosing to believe the truth. Now, recap of what happened the last um, week. We found out um, that if you're a believer here, if you're a follower of Jesus, we saw last time from the Bible that you are a saint, that your identity, your fundamental nature has been changed as when you became a Christian. You're no longer a sinner, you're now a saint. You are a holy one, you are righteous, you are someone God completely loves totally and fully. And here's a question to see if any of you were listening last week. Is there anything that you can do to make God love you more? Thank you. Correct answer. Is there anything you can do to make God love you less? No. You are fully and completely and totally loved by God right now. Forever, And it doesn't change what you do, whether you think you do good things or whether you think you do bad things or have done good things or done bad things. You are loved by him. We sang that. You can confidently sit here, stand here, sing, I am loved by him. Completely, totally, fully. All right, so if we're going to move on today. If you've got your Bible, can you turn to Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter, we're going to look at a few verses in Hebrews, among other things. So you might want to just make sure you keep a finger in there. Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm just going to read a verse out, verse 6. Now we're looking at choosing to believe the truth, and we're going to look at particularly at the topic of faith. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him. That would be God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So there's, there's what we're going to be looking at today, faith, because it's impossible to please God without faith. It's absolutely impossible. Now, if you just think about your life, you've been a Christian for any number of years. I've been a Christian for over 20 years now. And if you hear about someone who is, seems to be doing well in God, maybe they... They're, they're, kind of, they're, they're, they're leading a church that's doing well, they have a ministry that's doing well, or they're writing books. One of the things we want to respond, you might go to a conference or something and you see this person, you think, you ask the natural questions, what are they doing? What are they doing to be this fantastic Christian? And you might try and imitate what they do. Do they get up extra early and read their Bible? Do they pray in tongues for hours every day? Do they talk to everyone they meet about Jesus? Do they pray for the sick? Do they, you know, they hear the voice of God and go and just do immediately what God says? And we, we kind of try and respond to that and that's sort of natural. And that's not wrong per se, but I think that misses the key issue. If you flip over in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, it says this, it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God, consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Don't necessarily imitate what they do, which that might be right, but what the writer here to the Hebrews says, you must imitate their 
Faith. And what's that about? Well, faith is what they believe. Faith is what they believe. So we're to imitate their faith. We imitate what they believe, what they put their faith and trust in. And faith is a crucial issue. The Bible says we're saved by faith. And everywhere you look in the Bible, it says we're to walk by faith, we're to live by faith, we're to have faith, believe, trust, all those things in God. And that is key to who we're about. We even put it in our purpose statement. There it is over the church. We believe real life is about having relationship with Jesus. It's all about putting our faith and trust in him first and foremost. That's number one in our life. That's the most important thing. And faith, for our purposes today, is simply believing what is already true. Faith is just simply believing what is already true. Some people think faith is believing what's not true. If I have faith, I can believe the impossible. We think, well, no, because it's impossible. You can't. Faith is just believing what is already true. And God's role is to be truth. And our responsibility is to believe that truth. Whether it feels like it or not, it's still what we are to believe. It is still the truth. And this isn't always easy because life can get in the way and things kind of can deflect us off course. But the message for this session, just to sum up so we're all on the same place, is to find out what's already true, choose to believe it, whether it feels like it or not, and as a result, our Christian life will be transformed and we will move forward in a relationship with God. Now, whether you have faith depends on how effective it is. It depends on what you believe in. Because the reality is everyone lives and operates by faith in some form or another. All of us have faith in something, someone, uh, and it's how we live our life. In fact, everyone does. And the issue isn't, this, isn't what you believe, it's what you believe in. And what you believe in, what you have faith and trust in, will dictate how you live your life. And every practical decision we make and everything we do in our life demonstrates what and who we have faith in. How we act, how we live, what we do with our money, how we kind of jobs we choose, etc., etc., how we love life will demonstrate what and who we have faith in. Let me give you an example. The example of the traffic light. Who drove here this morning? Who got directed to park in there? <laughs> In the vast field, we got problems with car parking. We were trying to get as many cars in. So we drove here. Odds are, if you drove here, you drove through a traffic light, a set of traffic lights, depending on the distance and where you live. You might have driven through multiple sets of traffic lights. When you come up to those traffic lights and the lights are green, what did you do? The green, they're green. They're green. Just, we need to do some basic highway code here as well. I, I'm, just, I'm just grateful you all arrived safely. <laughs> when it's green you go you drive through but how do you do that you do that by faith because you don't know you can't see what the light is on the other side you by faith trust that the light on the other side is red the other color you faith that they're going to stop and the guy that guy and the guy they're going to stop so you can sail through safely it's an act of faith if he's, um, hebrews 1 11 uh, sorry 11 1 says now faith is the assurance of thing hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so there's, we, have, we exercise faith just when we get in our car and we drive it and we come to lights and we kind of stop when it's red and we go when it's green and we trust everyone else is doing the same thing so we're all safe on the road. If you didn't believe that the green light meant go, or you didn't believe there was a red light on the other side, the way you approach that intersection would be very different. You would creep up to it. You know, 
It's green there, but I'm not sure it's red there, and I'm not sure what you know, Muggins over there is going to do. So you creep forward, creep forward, and you would edge your way rather than just sailing through and keeping the traffic moving because you have faith. And in this day and age, there are many in the West, particularly who don't believe in God, don't have a faith and trust in God, but the reality is they exercise just as much faith as we do in believing that there is a God because we all need faith. And the only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is what we believe in what our faith and trust is in and um, there and depending on what your faith and trust is it will depend how effective it is there's a story in the bible in 1 kings 18 if you want to write the reference down and read the story later it's an interesting story between a, a man named elijah and a bunch of prophets of a false god called baal there were lots of them there's over 400 of them and there was a, they had 400 other mates who followed another false god asherah and they had a showdown on a mountain in israel called carmel and basically there was a showdown between Elijah, the prophet of God, and these other guys, nearly 900 of them, from a false god. And basically what they did was they said, right, we're going to have a showdown and find out whose god's real. And they said, Elijah said, right, we're going to build an altar. You build an altar, I'll build an altar. We'll build two altars. And they killed a, made a sacrifice and put them on the altar. And they said, the one who is the true god will send down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. That's pretty impressive. Like, Wow. And the other prophets of Baal and Asherah, they said, right, we'll take this on. And so Elijah said, being a gracious man, he said, you go first, because he knew they'd fail. He said, you go first. And so what the prophets did, they yelled and they screamed and they hollered. And it said they yelled and they screamed and they hollered all day. They were yelling to their God, come bring down fire on this thing. And Elijah, being quite a cheeky bloke, said, oh, maybe your God's on the toilet. <laughs> maybe your God's asleep and he can't hear you. Maybe your God's take, taking a, a holiday. And he can't hear. And then he said, then they got really crazy and they started cutting themselves. And he said, the blood gushed out. And that must have been a lot of blood, 900 plus people. <laughs> blood. But guess what? No fire fell. And eventually, Elijah said, he brought the people together and he said, we're going we're gonna to call on to the one true God of Israel. And he said, make the, make the altar, make the sacrifice. In fact, actually, let's make this more difficult. Let's pour water over it. So they covered it in water. And he said, do it again. And they covered it in water. And they did it again. And there was actually, they said there was a trench around it that was full of water. So this was a sodden sacrifice. And then he said, he prayed to the one true God of Israel. And the fire fell. He said it consumed the sacrifice. It licked up all the water from the trench. There was none left. And so it showed who the real God was. And it didn't matter how many people were there. It didn't matter how many, how, how they were yelling. It didn't matter. They cut themselves. It only mattered as who they had their faith and trust in. And the reality is the prophets of Baal had their faith and trust in a false god and Elijah had his faith and trust in the one true God. And it wasn't dependent on how much faith, it was dependent on who the faith was in. Jesus himself said you only need faith as small as a mustard seed. Because it's not about the faith, it's about the one the faith is in. And with that comes the power to move mountains. And the reality is this, if you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus Christ is the ultimate object of faith. Jesus Christ is the ultimate object of faith. Traffic lights can malfunction. <laughs> Objects that we do put our faith in are our jobs, our health, our family, our church, things of life, security that we've kind of built up around us. They can all fail. They can all change. They can all break down. They can all go wrong. But what's the one thing that doesn't change? Jesus. Hebrews 13.8, if you're still in Hebrews, we read verse 7, let's read verse 8. Very simply put, 
But Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can't change. He is the truth. He has never yet failed, and he never will fail. He will never let you down. He is eternally faithful. He is eternally steadfast. He is eternally true. He is the ultimate object of our faith. And so when it comes to thinking about faith, we need to put our faith and trust in the right object. And I submit to you today, that is Jesus Christ. Now, moving on. When we, can, when we talk about faith, the reality is we can all grow in it. Faith is something that grows. And how much faith we have is determined by how well we know the one we put our faith and trust in. How well we know Jesus, how well we know him and what he's capable and we can all grow in faith, and we can all have our faith deepened. And if you want that to be kind of the story of your life, growing in faith, you have to get to know the object, Jesus Christ. Faith is making the choice to believe what God says is true and to live accordingly. So you've got to get to know Jesus, find out what he's life, like, sorry, and then believe in it, and then live as a result of that. In that story about um, Elijah and the prophets of, of Baal, there's one verse where it says in uh, 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah said to the people uh, in the midst of this confrontation, he said, he came to the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? There were the prophets of Baal saying one thing. There was Elijah as the prophet of God saying something else. And he says, you're limping between the two. He says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And actually, the demonstration showed who was God, and the people eventually followed the Lord. And God hasn't given us an option to make up what we believe. He's told us what we believe. We have it in his word. We have the truth there. We're to learn it. We're to follow it. And if we're going to grow in faith, there's actually there's, there's one limit on your growing in faith. And the one limit is you. <laughs> it's you. Because there's no limit on Christ, there's no limit on him and what he's going to do. And the reality is we can grow in faith. We can grow in faith, but it means we're going to get to know Jesus. We're going to find out who he is, and we're going to find out the truth, we're going to believe in it, and we're going to act on it. And the, fa- the fact is you, you need to get to know the object of your faith so you can trust it and, and from that grow. Um, I've been playing a game with my kids. I've got two little boys. They are... Uh, five and three and one of the games we've been playing since they were very tiny babies is kind of jump and catch they jump I catch them and we play in the swimming bars where they jump off the side we play on our trampoline we play it just as I hold them and they and I throw them in the air and catch them freaked out the mum but you know they're all still alive so we do that and what we've got to now is when they were really small I would say, come on, jump, daddy will catch you. And they would be extremely nervous, even just jumping off the lowest thing and saying, no, daddy's going to catch you. Daddy will not let you fall. And, uh, and they, they kind of, the first time they did it, they kind of tottered and sort of fell. And I caught them up in their arms and gave them a big cuddle and gave them a kiss. And they usually looked quite shocked because there was that moment of falling <laughs> until I caught hold of them. And... And both my boys, every time they did, there'd be that moment of shock. They'd suddenly realize I was holding them. They would look at my eyes. They'd give me this cheeky grin and go, again, again. So I'd put them back and we'd just play the game. Now, oh my goodness, now they just hurl themselves at me with no fear for their safety or mine, actually, ironically. And they're getting bigger. They are getting way, but Levi is big. But he would just fling. 
Daddy catch, he says. There's going to come a point where that's not going to work. But for the moment and this illustration, for this illustration, the point is they got to know me. They got to know my object and I would not let them fall. Everything in my power would catch them and I caught them every time. And so now they are confident in me. They are confident in the fact that daddy will catch them. They jump off the side and the swimming bath, no matter how deep it is, and I will catch them and make sure they don't go under, and they just love it, and that's it. But they've got to know me. They've got to know me. And for us growing our faith, we need to get to know the object, and we need to learn to trust the object of our faith. And as we do that, we'll take bigger and bigger jumps, bigger and bigger leaps, knowing that God won't cause us to fall. God won't cause us to kind of uh, hit the ground, as it will. And I know in my life, there's been several areas of my life where I've trusted God, and it started small, and it's grown and grown over the years. One of the areas is the area of finance, money. I remember when Melanie and I got married, and the whole kind of area of, like, I'd been a student, and then I'd taken a year out, so actually having any kind of, kind of income was just like, what was money? <laughs> I didn't know what it was and I suddenly got married and I had a job and she had a job and suddenly we had real money coming in regularly like people paid you on time every month it's like what are we going to do with this money and actually we realized well actually well God says we need to honor him first with our money so we need to be giving faithfully we're part of a local church so well we're going to give uh, to our local church and then it comes well how much are you going to give like, oh, this is where the kind of rubber hits the road here. How much are we going to give? Well, you know, there's lots of different ways of looking at this. And we kind of said, well, you know, one of the guidance in the Bible, there's an Old Testament principle, the tithe, we'll give 10%. And you think, well, well, why don't we start there? Why don't we start there? And suddenly realize when you're giving 10% away of your income, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money when you think about, I've got this much. And God's saying, well, I want, you honor me with that much. You think, well, I've only got 90% to live on. But we did it, and we did it from the get-go, and we've done that every year of our married life, and we're 15 years and counting on our marriage. And I can tell you this, that God has never failed to provide for us. We have honored him with money, and we've, we've had lots of money in one respect, because we had two incomes, and then we had children, and then everything changed. And then we had another child, what were we thinking? And then it all changed again. And we, we, at one time, then we came and planted a church here, and in the space of one year, our, our income went down by 60%. <laughs> and that was all like, oh, my life. But God has proved to be faithful, not providing for all our greeds, but all our needs have always been covered because we've got to know him over the years. What about in the area of salvation and healing? Seeing people saved and set free and healed before God. When we were, kind of, we were starting out, I hadn't seen anyone become a Christian. Definitely hadn't seen anyone being healed if I'd prayed for them. And I felt... God provoke us and say, well, actually, you've got to start somewhere. Very clear in my word what you've got to do. You've got to proclaim the gospel, and you've just got to pray for the sick and leave the other bit up to me. And so we, kind of, we started out on this journey. God, we're going to be faithful. We led a small group in our church. We got involved in Alpha courses when they were running, kind of just helping out, serving. We decided, right, if we, we meet someone who's ill, we're, going to, we're just going to offer to pray. They might say yes, they might say no. And it was really nerve-wracking at first. And I can tell you, though, 15 years later... We've lived in, I think, with five houses, and in every house we've lived in, we've seen people saved in our living room and people healed in our living room. Our current house, we haven't seen anyone saved yet. We've seen people healed but not saved, so we're praying for that. But we've seen God do things. We've seen friends become Christians. We've seen colleagues become Christians. We've seen people healed. And the reality is now, my faith has grown, and actually I'm believing God will save more. I'm believing God will heal more. And it's not like I'm perfect or I'm there, but I've seen it change because I've put my faith and trust, and it's grown It's grown because I've seen God to be faithful to his word. 
God will save people. God wants to save people. God will transform people. His word is powerful. And one of the biggest tests of faith for me and our family was coming here to plant Real Life Church. We arrived just over five years ago. And um, we moved to Sutton Coldfield from a place called Bishop Stortford, many miles away. And we arrived here, and the whole process of getting here was terrifying because we were in part of a local church that was really quite large, several hundred members. We were both on staff, my wife and I, with good salaries, and that was great, and everything was going well. And we got to do stuff, we got to preach, we got, it was quite good fun. And then God said, it's time to move, it's time to go, which meant giving up two good jobs. It meant moving across here and having, well, I worked a couple of days a week for church and I had to go back to teaching because that's what I, I did. I'm a trained teacher, so I went back doing supply work, which is scary in itself. I hadn't been in the classroom for seven years at that time. And so I went back to that. We, we had to recruit a team to come. And we, it tested our faith in all directions. We, as I mentioned, we took a huge financial hit in terms of our, our salary. We recruited a small team, so we went from a church from, of like several hundred down to there were eight of us and a child at the time we left and then we moved here and it was me and Mel and Levi and I remember as we kind of arrived, we were the first to arrive in Sutton Coalfield and the removal van was leaving as it kind of went down the road and I remember thinking, crumbs, this is just us and then God reminded me of um, something I'd heard in one of these kind of church planning talks and it's basically said, you don't count any member of your team until they've moved. So my team went from eight to two in one second. It was like, oh my goodness, it's literally just us here. Thankfully, Joe and Anna moved up within a couple of weeks and then Ben and Charlotte and John and George moved up over the next few months and then more moved on beyond that. But it was that moment where it's thinking, God, this is just us. And then one of the other areas that really hit us, particularly mentally, was when we moved to Plant Church, this is what God's called us to do, this is what we've got to do. But at the, ch- at the time, we only had one member of our kids' work. It was our son. He's, he, was, he was seven months we moved, and by the time we kind of started, he was a year old. And I remember Mel being really kind of distraught before God, just saying, we'll go because we, we want to go, but I'm worried about my child. I'm worried about Levi because I don't want him to grow up in the church and be the only kid. I don't want him to hate church because we're the pastors, and, and then he's going to have no friends, and there's going to be no one there he knows. And, it's just, and she was really distressed about this, thinking, God, we're, just, we're trusting you with our family, particularly our son. And then a few months later, we had our first Sunday meeting, uh, which I could guarantee eight adults and a child there. Um, and in that first meeting, five children turned up with their parents, but five other kids turned up. We had this tiny room, no kids' work, we weren't expecting a child. There was one room, I was preaching to a little group, and there are all these kids running around, and a whole bunch of kids running around, and God has been faithful since. Have you noticed we've got a few children here now? <laughs> My son is not short, sons now are not short of friends, but that was a step of faith, and actually the whole process proved that he is faithful. And as a result, my faith has grown. And it's not there yet by a long way, but it's grown. And the reality is the more you get to know the object of your faith, the more you, you effectively put God to the test by trusting him and believing and saying, God, you said it's going to happen. I'm just going to believe that. The more it will grow bit by bit. And so wherever you are right now, wherever God's put you, whatever your situation is with your home, your job, your family, start where it is and actually think, I'm going to seek to grow in faith. I'm going to believe what God says about himself what it says in his word I'm going to believe it's true and I'm going to act upon it the one thing I'll be advice I can say is do not start with your feelings do not start with your feelings because if you started with your feelings I would never have moved here 
I probably would never have started giving financially. I definitely wouldn't have prayed for anyone who was ill and kind of wanted prayer because that just frankly terrified me because I'd be like, oh no, you don't start with your feelings. The reality is you don't feel your way to good behavior. You behave your way to good feelings. And there's this little kind of thing that should appear out there. There you go. Truth. You have the truth, which is God and his word. You choose to believe it. That then affects your behavior. And as a result, your feelings line up with it. And that's the way we should kind of be acting. You don't start with your feelings. If you start at the wrong end of that, it all goes wrong. If you start at the wrong end, you feel scared and you feel vulnerable and you feel like questioning and doubting, which we've all been through, you'd never get round to actually doing anything. Last two things, and then we'll wrap up. Number one, faith grows in difficult times. Faith grows in difficult times. That's the reality. And it brings us to an almost an uncomfortable truth about our Father in heaven, who loves us so completely. But he is more interested in forming our character and our faith than he is in our comfort. He's more interested in growing us in knowledge of him than just making us comfortable in life. And God's focus is to grow that. And sometimes God, by his grace, will put us in situations where there's pressure. There's pressure on our job. There's pressure on our finances. There's pressure on our children. There's even pressure on our health. There's there's, there's things come in and start to affect us. And God is using those things by his grace to grow us in him, to grow us in him. He does not seek us evil. He doesn't do evil things to us. He wants us to grow in faith. And he will use situations that come into us that are just in this sinful fallen world. And he will use them to grow us in him. And just like all that stuff I've shared about um, in my life, they were all difficult situations. Things that need to be navigated. And it meant that I had to put my faith and trust in God. And that was a daily battle. Every day you have to say, God, I believe you. I believe you want good for me. I believe you, you're here to grow me. I hear that this ultimately will work out for my good and your glory. And day by day you step through it. And I've been through difficult situations in the church. Even before that, when I was just working as a teacher, I found difficult situations, difficult children. But what was the worst thing about teaching? You know the thing about teaching? Good news for all you guys, the parents. They are the single worst thing about teaching, especially when you're teaching small ones. And I had to deal with difficult parents, and I did my offsets and did my sats and all that kind of stuff. But all that just brought pressure. But as a result, it means you go your faith, you go back to Jesus, you go back to God, you say, right, how do we move this forward? What do you say? What it is? And so God's role is to be truth. Our role is to walk according to that, even in difficult times. Last thing, faith leads to action. Faith is not simply agreeing with something. Real faith is demonstrated by what we do. When we read our Bibles, in the, um, apparently in the original languages, the words for faith, trust, and belief are all the same. So when you, in English, they don't quite carry the same connotations. But when we read our Bible, the, the words that were written by the original authors were all the same. So when we talk about faith, trust, and belief, they're all important, powerful words. And the reality is, you read our Bible, it says actually those things should, if you have a faith, a trust, and belief in something, it should, it should affect how you act, and it should cause you to act. In James 2, it says this, So also by faith itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. Basically saying, if your faith doesn't lead to anything, it's dead, it's useless. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Having faith, it's like going to the train station and finding out when your train is coming. Who's been the new one in Birmingham? 
Oh, yeah, very impressive. Got lost, but very impressive. They lost. And there's now a John Lewis on the top of it. So imagine going down there, and you know when your train is coming because you can see it, and it says there, platform, blah, blah, blah. And you go and wait for the train. And you even know what type it's train because you're that kind of person. And you see the diesel locomotives coming, and you think, oh, this is my train. But imagine never getting on. Faith leads to actions. If you don't ever actually get on the train, the question is, do you actually have faith? Probably not. No. You need to get on the train. You need to, and our faith should lead to actions. It should do something. It should propel us forward in God, propel us in doing the things of God, propel us in loving and caring and serving for those around us, proclaiming his word in prayer and study of his word. All those things should be the result of our faith. People don't always live according to what they say they believe, but they will always live according to what they actually believe. If you want to see what someone believes, you just check out how they live their lives. And if we want to believe the truth and we, we focus on the truth, that should then have an effect in our life and behavior. The good news for all of us here is we can all grow to be mature, faithful Christians. We can all grow more in our faith. We can all become more like Jesus day by day. We can all walk free of sin. We can all overcome hopelessness and temptation. We can do all those things that, as a believer, you would long for that you would want in your life because we can get to know the object of our faith bit by bit, more and more. We're going to finish. If you've got your book with you, if you want to open it, it's also going to appear on the screen, but we're going to finish with a few statements. Page 33 in your little book if you've got it. Page 33 and page 34. Now we're going to re- read some truth because if we want to get to know the object of our faith... We need to get to know truth about them. We need to learn about them. We need to to get that in us. And over the last several times we've done this, there's been a kind of a list of things. I think this is the last one. So we've done this. will be the third one. And I've encouraged you daily to read through the list out of the sermon, to remind yourself of truth. And last time I used the illustration of my kids, and I love my kids, and uh, that's the truth. I love them, and I want them to know that truth. So what do I do? On a daily basis, I demonstrate it to them every way I can. I say it to them. I love you. I act, act it out to them. I play with them. I talk to them. I hang out with them. I'm interested in them. I talk to them. Uh, ask them about their day, if I've been away at work or whatever it is. But the whole reason behind this is I want them to grasp the truth that their dad loves them. So I do it on a regular basis. And so reading out a list of things like this is not just something, it's not like a mantra that you have to say. It's you're trying to get the truth that God thinks about you into you. And so saying it daily is an important thing. Not because it makes it true, it is true and you have to understand it. You have to believe it. So I've got another list. Who's been doing it? Who's been saying it every day? Who's been doing the list? Seriously. Come on, church. Be proud. If it is, be proud. Because I have. Good. Okay, rest of you, think about it. Just leave it like that. As a school teacher, an ex-school teacher, I'm setting homework, official homework. Read them out daily. Get them into yourselves. Meditate on them. They've got scripture references. You can look them up. There will be a test. Um, <laughs> that wasn't funny. That just, I, they will. No. All right, so we're going to do the 20 cans of success. This is the last one. This is basically the truth the Bible says about us actually saying what we can do by grace. In God, by faith in Christ. And we're going to proclaim these and the band are going to come up and we're going to worship Jesus together. So do you want to stand? Limber up. It's always good. I remember some teacher telling me that if you want to learn stuff and remember stuff, it's always good to say it out loud. And apparently it's also good to be standing up. I don't know why, but you're more likely to, I don't know, remember it. But there you go. So 
That's what it is. So we're going to read these all out together, nice and loud. I'll obviously be the loudest. I've got a microphone. But um, here we go. The 20 cans of success, 20 things the Bible says about us. Off we go. Why should I say I can't when the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? Why should I lack when I know that God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus? Why should I fear when the Bible says God has not given me a spirit of fear but one of power, love, and a sound mind. Why should I lack faith to fulfill my calling, knowing that God has allotted to me a measure of faith? Why should I be weak when the Bible says that the Lord is the strength of my life and that I will display strength and take action because I know God? Why should I allow Satan supremacy over my life when he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world? Why should I accept defeat when the Bible says that God always leads me in triumph? Why should I lack wisdom when Christ became wisdom to me from God and God gives wisdom to me generously when I ask him for it? Why should I be depressed when I can recall to mind God's loving kindness, compassion and faithfulness and have hope? Why should I worry and fret when I cast all my anxiety on Christ who cares for me? Why should I ever be in bondage knowing that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom? Why should I feel condemned when the Bible says I am not condemned because I am in Christ? Why should I feel alone when Jesus said he is with me always and he will never leave me nor forsake me? Why should I feel accursed or that I am a victim of bad luck when the Bible says that Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law that I might receive his spirit. Why should I be discontented when I, like Paul, can learn to be content in all my circumstances? Why should I feel worthless when Christ came to sin on my behalf that I might become the righteousness of God in him? Why should I have been a persecution complex knowing that nobody can be against me when God is for me? Why should I be confused when God is the author of peace and he gives me knowledge through his indwelling spirit? Why should I feel like a failure when I'm a conqueror in all things through Christ? Why should I let the pressures of life bother me when I can take courage knowing that Jesus Christ has overcome the world and its tribulations. That's it. All right, do you want to close your eyes? I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that in you we have success. Lord, not because of what we have done, but because what you have done. Lord, and today, God, I want to make a statement. And if you want to join me, you just join me. I want a statement and say, God, I believe and trust in you. 
not just simply for my salvation, so, you know, so I've got my ticket to heaven punched, but for this day, for tomorrow, for this week, with my family, with my job, with my health, with my, um, with my kind of neighbors and circumstances, with all the pressures I face on life, God, I want to say I believe and trust in you. I believe and trust you have good plans for us. I believe and trust you have purposes for us. Lord, I believe and trust you love us completely. Lord God, I believe we are called by you. We are saints before you. We, there's nothing we can do today, good or bad, that changes the way you feel about us. And I'm going to believe and trust in that today. And that is going to affect my life. It's going to affect how I act towards others. It's going to affect how I think about myself. It's going to affect how I go to work tomorrow. If I've got a job or if I care for children, it's going to affect me, Lord, because I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to put a stake in the ground and say, God, I believe you. I take you as your word. Lord God, you are a good God. You give good things to your children. I love you and I praise you. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.